Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Aaron, I understand uh, you have one of our good friends on today. I do, and I am excited because it goes back to, I think, something that a lot of us have roots in, and that is the topic of night fishing. But yeah, we're going to have Rick Loomis live from Lake Fork, talking about all the different things that he does to attract those big bash. Well, you know I like that stuff. Let's get to it. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Oh, did did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, it sounds like all the Bass Edge boys have been out on the water this week. Aaron, I understand you did a little night fishing. I did indeed. I was fortunate enough that I actually had three of my nephews come down and join me uh, for the weekend and go out and do a little fishing. Oh, that's great. That's great. We should all be taking the kiddos whenever we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to what we're about. You know, just I I couldn't help but think, you know, the moon was pretty bright. It it was just, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it was quite a full moon on Friday, but... But, man, it was bright, you know, breeze blowing. They had never been out on a big reservoir like that of the nighttime and just kind of, you know, just sitting out there amongst the stars and and making a cast and kind of relying on your senses certainly brought back a lot of memories for me. Well, it's been a beautiful week, but uh, how was fishing? Well, fishing was actually uh, good. It started out slow, and the interesting thing is we um, went to a a very long creek, and uh, of which I haven't been to in a long time, and so I told them this. I kind of, you know put out there the, the warning but we started out on the deep the channel side and mm-hmm. of course the sun was beaten down because we got out there obviously before it was dark uh earlier of an evening and i told them i said guys this just isn't the ticket but i said over on the other side you know on the shallow side there were several points and fingers that went back off this major creek and i told mm-hmm. them i said you know that's where we're going to catch them a little bit later well then you did you predicted it and they did it huh? well we did and everything was centered around points and i think what a lot of it had to do with the very first point we went all the way to the back of the creek and of course we caught one right off the bat and they're like man you know this is pretty awesome but i think a lot of it had to do with just that sun angle you know the light penetration was changing the other thing is steve that in this particular creek that we were talking about the channel side didn't have a lot of timber it was pretty much just a straight drop off bluff but the other side kind of the more shallow or the flat side where it dropped off into the main channel it had a lot of standing timber on these points and Mm -hmm. those trees uh were definitely holding some fish well, you know, we've talked about that before, and I think we talked about it as far as, like, spring migrating fish, but sometimes that shallow side of the cove just holds more opportunities for hunting and bait, and uh, it's tempting to go over there and get on that riverbank, but a lot of times that shallow side of that creek is the way to go. Well, I think you're right, and I think the other thing is we were setting, you know, we were still out in that 24 to 25 feet of water, and the majority of the bites now, as the night progressed and it got cooler and the surface temperature and, you know, the dark darkness came about, then they started moving in a little bit shallow, but right there, kind of in that in-between time, we were targeting right out on the channel drop-off, um, so it was just kind of almost like it was just on the other side of the river, if that makes any sense, and, you know, throwing uh, plastic worms and jigs, the boys absolutely had a blast, and, you know, just the thought uh, and realization that I was with them 
the first time that they experienced some of that, man, I would encourage everybody to get out and take that opportunity. It kind of almost gave me chills. Well, you know, that is so true because you and I talk about this all the time, and I've written a lot about it in my book, but those memories for those kids, they'll remember that their whole life. And especially in their case, because they got to fish with this big, famous fisherman, the Aaron Martin. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, either that or their, their, uh, you know, their crabby old <laughs> uncle, I guess. But, no, the, the thing, one thing that I do want to point out, though, that I did take and learn a lot, and it really almost had me remember. You know, when we kind of got back of that evening, and it was late, late in the night, they didn't necessarily remember. They kept every fish that was caught. They're like, wow, you know, this is awesome. And look at the size of that fish. The other thing was the simple fact of just being out in nature. And the things that they were pointing out, like we were hearing a hoot owl and we saw a mink and a fox. And, and then on the way back, the oh, wow. moon shining off of the lake as we were heading back and sense of direction and all those different things. And they're just like, man, this was just so great. But they never once brought up, you know, as far as the size of the fish or how many bites they got. That's my kind of kids right there. And that's so true about the total experience, the mink and the fox. I mean, you know, that's kind of what they'll remember and talk about and that they caught fish with you and whether it weighed five, two or three, eight or whatever, you know, sometimes that scorekeeping is not the important thing. Well, absolutely. And, you know, and which kind of leads me to my next question, because I think you were in a situation where it would have been almost impossible to keep score over the weekend. (laughs) And I, I can't wait to hear about this story. Well, we did. We had a great weekend. I went down with my brother, Jeff. We were those two little barefooted kids walking down the road with the cane poles over our shoulders when we were kids. And uh, we fished literally every day in the summer during some years. But uh, anyway, we got a rare opportunity to get together and uh, we're invited out to uh, an 1,800-acre ranch in southeast Oklahoma. It had seven lakes on it and they were all well managed and we did catch I will say dozens and dozens probably 150 fish between all of us but uh, it was some amazing fishing and it was just good to get back to some pond fishing you know in our business we do so much lake fishing but uh, that was a real throwback to my childhood did you have like a float tube or were you walking the bank or how oh we were walking the bank I tell you what and it was uh, part of the reason this lake's probably pretty good because it's so hard to fish or, or the one that we really nailed them on but no we were Uh, fishing from the bank and the lakes were all in the two to four acre range so you could fish most of them Uh, you know you rigged yourself so you could cast a long ways and uh, I know I was using a spinning gear with a 15 pound braid that was six pound in diameter and I could really chunk that stuff so I could cover more pond but we fished mostly at night we got there that first evening Uh, you know at one of these outdoor rider conferences the Stanley folks gave me a big bag of their stuff as a gift and I I still had it here, and God bless them, because it had about four bags of, of ribbit plastic frogs in there. Ah, the frog. <laughs> we're back. Yeah, it's the year of the frog still, I guess. We have to get the next year to get a new motif. But I had a black frog, put it on, first cast, you know, like a three-and-a-half-pound fish. And, you know, about four or five casts later, I caught the biggest fish that I caught during the week, probably in the five to five-and-a-half-pound range. But wow. we caught pound-and-a-half to two-and-a-half-pound fish till our arms got tired. Did you notice, Steve, as you were fishing the different ponds, were there certain areas that maybe either A, the bigger fish were holding or relating to or that you would catch more fish? I mean, you know, because you think of a pond, Mm -hmm. and especially in the one to two acre range, they do have uniqueness to where the bass, I think, sometimes will congregate. Well, they absolutely do. And I think these ponds were full of moss. And for one thing, I will say that generally we caught 
are bigger fish at night, you know, midnight in the middle of the night. We did fish daylight and dusk each day that we were there and caught a lot of fish, but we did seem to catch our bigger fish at night. And the bigger fish we caught were, they were still in the vegetation, the matted vegetation that these ponds were full of, but there was a couple of places where there was like a long point that kind of stuck out in the main part of the lake, and that's where I caught those first two big fish. And walking up to that pond, I mean, you see that point sitting out there, and it's like, that's the spot, but... I think the key to to catching fish for us was uh, making some of those adjustments that you make because you are on a pond. For one thing, we were throwing in vegetation, but probably throwing a little lighter line than we may have on the lake just to get the casting distance. You know, we've talked about angles here a lot, but these fish were holding. The matted vegetation came out from the bank about 10 feet, and these fish were all right on the edge of that matting. And so you had to kind of find an angle where you could pull it down that matting and leave your bait in the strike zone you know a long time other than just reeling it in and it's just in the strike zone for a few seconds yeah that's what i was going to say because normally you know that's one of the challenges i think fishing from the shoreline is that it's not like a you know a boat where you can perhaps parallel kind of that edge that you're speaking of that's so true and of course the pond was irregular shape so there were a lot of opportunities to say get on a little point and throw back both directions and run parallel to those mats but i tell you just one thing all my pond fishing i don't know what it is but fish like the dam <laughs> you know they just the dam has always been where i've caught a lot of fish and i just think it has to be because of that sort of like you spoke about earlier that closeness between the deepest water and the bank yeah i think anywhere they can just move vertically up and down in the water column because let's face it i mean it's august of course probably a lot of parts of the country you know at least where i'm at where we're at uh, we haven't experienced quite the dog days yet but as that water temperature warms and we're talking about the thermocline and just being able to ambush bait you know fish like to be able to move up and down and they want kind of the the path of least resistance mm-hmm. in, in my opinion they do and uh it was a wonderful trip uh i thank everybody for uh, having me down there well, i want to tell you before we we need to get to rick's interview but i want to tell you one more little thing about this place in the cabin there they had a little uh, scrapbook and it had stuff about the area and the ranch and, and, and that sort of thing. And it was full of stuff in there from Bigfoot. And they'd actually had some pictures, these pictures taken on that ranch. And then one of the television stations was doing a special on Bigfoot. had come to that ranch to film. But we were uh, sort of in the land of Bigfoot there. But we didn't see him, you know. I don't know. You yeah, didn't see him. So can I stop? I don't know if he's still hanging around or not. But uh... Can I call you Sasquatch? <laughs> I know. I was afraid. I was afraid. Me walking around out there, I was hoping nobody was trying to hunt Bigfoot. I thought I might catch one in the behind or something. Well, they, they, they see some of those tracks now <laughs> alongside of the banks out in those weeds. They're going to think all you guys out there roaming around and some Sasquatches lives again. Oh, I'd love for my dad to hear this conversation because uh, I do have big feet and the Bigfoot would be funny and you know, he'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> well, like I couldn't resist. So anyway, but, of course. Uh, speaking of which, we do have an interview to get to. Oh, yeah. Let's get let's take a quick break here for a second come back and talk to one of our good friends rick luke you've got the truck you've got the toys now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both it's the tow and stow receiver hitch by bmw you want options select the ball size adjust the height to level the trailer or stow it out of the way in just seconds it's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. 
finally, a safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Keelguard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. We are back on The Edge with one of the legends of Lake Fork, and that is guide extraordinaire Rick Loomis. Rick, welcome back to The Edge, man. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing, bud? I am doing well. Excited to have the conversation concerning what is going on in the night concerning bass. And, you know, I guess that begs to uh, bring me to my first question, which other than the obvious, you know, what preparation goes into heading out for an evening of, of nighttime bass fishing? Well, Aaron, you know what? When I've, I've been here almost 16 years now, and actually I moved here to Lake Fork to night fish, and I thought I could actually make a living night fishing. That's how much I loved it. But, you know, it's pretty hard to night fish in February and March when <laughs> yeah. it's 29 degrees. But, you know, there's quite a bit of preparation. You don't really want to get out there and, uh, you know, get in trouble. Uh, for one thing is you really need your batteries charged. That's always uh, – because pretty much every state you have to have your lights on, you know, just for safety. The other thing, uh, we kind of went through a, quite a few of these deals where, uh, especially on Lake Fork after 10 o'clock, there's absolutely nothing open here. And we live in a community where you got to go 20 or 30 miles to, uh, you know, if something really happens. So, you know, you want to be prepared for something. Uh, you know, if you get hurt, you can do a little something about it before you have to go 15 or 20 miles to get some help. You know, there's quite a few things that goes on that uh, I've actually had guys run out of gas at night, and I pulled them in. Well, and, and the reason they do that is once they get out there at night and they lose kind of the area that they were fishing in and they start idling, they've got to idle and idle and idle, and you'd be surprised at how many guys that we've actually pulled off the lake. And, and it was just because they were actually afraid to run, and, and they were better off not running if they didn't know where they were at. So lots of times we try to tell people, you know, if you're going to night fish, get in areas where you may be uh, accustomed to, and you can, you can fish that area back and forth, back and forth, and as the night goes on, more fish will probably move up in that area if you're catching them. But you don't have to really try to run all over the lake or idle, you know, idle all over the lake. Well, I think, uh, you know, that's a good – you bring up several good points there. First off, one is the safety issue. You know, and, and if you're going to be doing this a – together or even certainly if you're going to be going it alone um, it's probably a good idea to let somebody know what part of the lake that you're going to be at oh absolutely you know it's a deal uh here here at lake fork uh and i'm sure you know a lot of the other lakes is we have access to so many ramps here at the lake that if you're looking at a map and you, i mean you can put in at a ramp and be you know within a mile or two of places really good places to fish so it's always good to you know tell somebody this is where i'm going i'm gonna put in at and i'm gonna try to fish this area uh, and, you know, if you're two hours late or something, people really know have a start to go look for you instead of uh, try to cover the whole lake. And, and actually that has happened a few years ago. I got calls to, uh, we had some guys lost or they couldn't find them on the lake. So some of us put our boats in the water and went looking for them. But, but yeah, you know, you need to let somebody know where you're going and, and be prepared. You know, it's a big deal, especially at night, everything changes out there. And once you get out there at night, 
you know, anything can happen, and you just kind of need to be prepared for that. And sticking just with for, for another second or two more, concerning the preparation, we now have electronics, obviously, that has GPS and some things like that, so make it a little bit easier for some of those things that you speak of. But also, what about as far as health? You know, a lot of people think about just because it's nighttime, you know, that they don't have to put the fluids in their system. Um, you know, just because the sun's not shining down on their back, they think that sunscreen and, uh, you know, water go hand in hand. But that's not always the case. And the other thing is concerning insect well, one big, you know, one big deal is I try to, uh, you know, have the option to. Uh, I tell my guys to bring their sunglasses. I use safety glasses at night. Anytime I'm idling or running the boat, you know, the worst thing you could do is have be running down the lake and, uh, you know, a bug get in your eye and, or even actually damage your eye even worse. So I tell my guys, you know, uh, you know, be sure to bring your sunglasses. And, and anytime we're we're moving across the lake. Uh, you know, you have them sunglasses on. If you're running across the lake and you're running 40 or 50 miles an hour, which we can at Lake Fort because actually we fish it so much, but, you know, a bug pop you upside the head, it hurts, and especially if it gets in your eye. But, oh, you know, yeah. there's a lot of ways to, for, uh, you know, to protect that. And the other thing is you're talking about is actually it feels cooler out there, but you're right. I mean, uh, it's still hot. I mean, you know, here we'll still be in the high 80s lots of times, you know, when we're out there not fishing. So it's it's really good to carry plenty to drink and uh you know, be prepared. Absolutely. And, you know, now kind of shifting gears into what advice would you offer us as far as selecting spots to fish, not necessarily just on Lake Fork, maybe perhaps all across the country, you know, for a nighttime fishing? What are things that you look for? Well, one thing you really want to do is, you know, uh, I, I kind of re- reflect back to Fork, but one thing is, is you really want to find areas where you have, uh, that are really close to deep water, where these fish that may be suspended during the day uh, you know, out in the lake and may not feed very much during the day and are going to feed a lot at night, they're going to come up out of that deep water. And I don't mean come up out of 25 foot on the bottom and swim up to five or six foot, but what happens is a lot of these fish will suspend in the trees during the day when it's hot, and they may not be but in 14 or 15 foot of water, but there may be a funnel going into a bank area where these fish can funnel through and work their way up to that, you know, five or six or seven foot or even on the bank and feed and then and then you know after they get through feeding they're going to move back out into that treetop that may be 15 or 16 foot but it's really good if you can find areas where you have deep water close by where these fish can migrate up there and feed at night is that uh, kind of the major differences that you see between daytime and nighttime like what you just described during this time of year as far as that the fish are just suspending in the day but then move up at night oh yeah well your fish you know uh actually it's kind of a it's a real quick little story. I mean, I, I night fished over here before I ever moved over here, and I hardly ever day fished. But you could go into areas and, uh, you know, catch fish at night where you might go through an area and catch seven or eight. And then I could go and, and you know, once I moved over here to try to guide and start fishing it during the day, absolutely not get a bite. So it comes to the deal that what you have is you have fish that are feeding at night and not feeding during the day. I actually have even placed in a few tournaments before I moved over here, but we actually caught our fish right at daylight, and it was kind of a planned deal where, you know, we caught these fish at night, but once the sun got up, you couldn't get a bite in that area. That's a a fascinating point right there, and I want to spend some time on that. So would you say that fish that are found at night, can you go back to those during the daytime, or do you think that that's a completely different feeding cycle, um, you know, that comes into play during the day? Oh, I definitely think it's a completely different feeding cycle. I mean, as many days as we've not fished over here, or many nights is that we not fished and then and then go back in the day and try to catch these fish. I think it's a deal where these fish actually, uh, you know, they're on a night bite and they're gonna they're gonna set up and and suspend during the day and not move around. And and I don't mean that you can't catch them fish, but it would be a deal where, 
you accidentally put a bait suspended you know a bait in the tree during the day and that fish is sitting there doing nothing and you you know you fish slow enough to get you know entice that fish to bite but to be an aggressive bite that fish is probably going to be a, you know a lot more aggressive at night than they are during the day so then it's essentially it's it's a different you'd probably go to a more subtle presentation maybe a drop shot or yo-yoing or something like that in the trees um and you're not going to get feel the the heart pounding strikes maybe that you do at night right well the one big deal one pattern that we have over here during the summertime is actually like bringing a big 10 inch worm up through the trees and we're trying to actually entice these fish to bite a bigger bait, but normally the bite is almost like a brim bite. You can sit there and go, oh, I just I think I had a brim bite, and it'll be a five-pound fish. That fish is just not aggressive, but you brought that, you know, you got that big bait so close to them that they're just not going to pass it up. But it's it's also a deal where you might pick off one fish out of that tree, and there may be six or seven, and at night these fish may migrate up to the edge of the grass or in shallower water, and you get an area where you might catch all seven of them. And that kind of begs for the question then, how far would you estimate that these fish are traveling, kind of rule of thumb? Obviously, I know each situation is going to be a little bit different, but, you know, are they traveling 100 yards? Are they traveling, you know, 25 yards? Well, we had a guy here in Texas a few years ago that got permission from Texas Parks and Wildlife to, uh, you know, uh, uh, insert these fish uh, tracking system where he'd actually go to the lake and spend five or six days and track these fish. And that was one of the biggest things that was surprising to him is how far these fish would actually travel to feed. And uh, the bigger the fish, he actually calls them flushers in his book. And his name's John Hope. So if you ever get a chance to, you know, look at some of the books that he wrote, uh, it's really interesting some of the things he found out. But that was one of the biggest things that he didn't think would happen was that once these fish got to moving, and, and actually, the bigger the fish, he actually calls them flushers, which he means that fish won't pull up on a tree and sit on that tree hoping something comes by. They're actually, the predator comes out in them, so they start cruising maybe the grass bed, or they may cruise up into a five or six foot zone and stay in that zone and go through that funnel that we was talking about with that deep waters right there. And they're really trying to push something out or find something that's moving to from the feed on. So it, in his book, he talks about some of these fish, you know, at night, even traveling up to a mile, you know, and cruising and feeding in that area, which, you know, he's sitting there with the uh, electronics following these fish for a number of days. So that's pretty interesting. That's very interesting and certainly uh, kind of raised my eyebrows as you were telling that story. How does the bait selection tie into that, the difference between, you know, what are you using at night versus the day? Well, most of the time here, you know, here at Lake Fork is, uh, you know, we're trying to get trophy bass. We're trying to get a bigger bite. So, you know, we pretty much look toward a big crawl worm, six-inch crawl worms, or a big 10-inch worm, or a big blade spinner bait. But you got to have baits that, uh, too, that that you don't want to, you know, you don't want to put a, if you got hydrilla around, you don't want to put a 10-inch worm on with a half-ounce weight because all you're going to do is bury up in the grass all night. And, uh, you know, they can't find that bait buried up in there. So, what you want to try to do is use a lighter weight and even a bigger bait, but something you can throw up into a grass and, and pop it up and out of that grass because these fish will actually set in the hose and the hydrilla, or they'll move up and if they're cruising around, and you, you know, if you can entice them with a bigger bait, you're probably going to get a few more bites that way because I think they can find the bait a lot better than trying to really finesse the fish. So are most of uh, most of your, your nighttime bites, specifically there on fork, are they going to be centered around grass or is it more timber related? That's pretty interesting because you really never know. Uh, I've actually, the, the one thing that you do know is these fish change depths. So one night you catch them in three foot and you start off and, you know, fishing that three foot area uh, and you go for an hour and don't get a bite. And, and then all of a sudden you go, well, they're going to pull up, they're going to pull up and you keep spending your time up you say your boat's in six or seven foot and you, and you continue to fish that three foot 
and if you'd actually backed off into 12 foot and fished 6 foot, there they are. So it's a change of depth to me more than it is. It's kind of, you know, you got areas that you'll, you'll fish the grass and you got areas that you like to go and flip big trees and stuff. But I think the depth, it, the depth change is the big deal. If you're not getting bit, you know, if you're not getting bit, change depth. I mean, move out. Uh, if you're sitting out deep and trying to get bit and you're not, move up. I mean, uh, it doesn't take but, you know, a few minutes to get out there and put your boat in 12 foot and fish 6 foot. But it, that's one thing we really found out that is if you change depth here and probably a number of other lakes anywhere else, is that you're going to find the fish. Well, absolutely. And, you know, of course, I've found that all over the country, and specifically here on Table Rock is the fact that a lot of times the fish are right where your boat's actually sitting, so you need to move out, and really the cover or the type of structure that they're holding to is secondary, and it has more and really everything to do uh, with the depth of water. You know, in our last uh, closing minutes here, one thing that I do know that you have a tremendous uh, insight on is the role of the moon and how that plays into a person's fishing. And there's a lot of, I think, perhaps myths that are out there. What is your preference, Rick, concerning do you like fishing during the full moon or during no moon? And also provide us with kind of thoughts on how that actually does help or hinder the fishing. Well, we see a lot of things. The one thing we see over here, especially a lot of people come to Lake Fork to fish, and they want to come on a full moon. Uh, it's a lot easier to get around. It's a lot easier to fish. But the one thing is, too, you also have the tremendous amount of pressure. You get a full moon out here uh, where on a Friday or Saturday night, and it falls on the weekend, and I may have 100 boats out here. I get a new moon out here during that same period of time. I may have 10 boats on the lake, and there's actually been nights where I have less than that. If you, you know, fish a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, sometimes out here you just have a few boats, and you actually know who they are. But I think the biggest myth is you've got a lot more people fishing for more fish on a full moon than you do any other time. So everybody kind of thinks the bite may be that much better. And it's really more accessible to the fishermen than it is to the fish. I don't do near as well on a full moon as I do any other time. To me, the full moon is just like the sun being out. Uh, you know, I just change it from daylight to dark. But when you've got a big bright moon sticking out there, to me, it's it's more like the sun, just a big high sky during the day. So, And, and if you talk to a lot of people that really do a lot of night fishing, uh, a lot of them tell you the same thing. I, I prefer not to fish on a full moon. But I think pressure has a lot to do with it. You start getting, say, 100 boats out on the lake instead of the four or five, and you got boats idling and going over the top of these fish, they're going to get skittish just like they do in the springtime. Well, and that makes sense. And, you know, when you think of the, the big bright moon that's out there, you know, light penetration, that's key when it comes to, to really to anything concerning a, a bass's behavior. And, um, you know, when you do have to go out there and fish during a full moon situation, are you paying attention to shadows and shade and things like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's areas where that moon is starting to move, you know, and you may get behind an island or you may be, get on a bank where that, you know, there is some shade. One thing is always, you know, my biggest deal is if I, if I get booked on a full moon, I'm actually kind of praying for cloud cover that night. And, and I've seen it so many times where you're sitting there, you know, you're fishing and, and you hadn't had a bite and all of a sudden you see some clouds rolling in and it takes over the moon. And as soon as that happens within, you know, a few minutes, all of a sudden you get your first bite. So I think it makes a huge difference. But uh, it's it's actually a lot easier for the fishermen, of course, to fish out there on a full moon and get around the lake and feel more comfortable than it is out there on the dark of a moon. But one thing else you have to remember is once your eyes adjust out there, you'll be amazed at, even with no moon, how well you can see if you give it just a little while to adjust. 
Well, and I think one of the reasons I like fishing at night, and not only for all the things that you just named, but also from the standpoint is it's just kind of fishing pure. You know, you really have to get in tune with your senses, and um, I think that is really fun. You're not depending so much on sight and uh, some of the other things that, that you learn to fall back on. Well, I'll tell all my guys that actually uh, even day fish with me, I really try to stress the fact that, hey, if you've got a lake, uh, you know, a home lake and, and your fishing's kind of tough during the summertime, go out there at night. And the one thing night fishing will actually do is just what you just said. It'll make you such a better day fisherman because, uh, you know, we use no, we, we don't use the black lights and we go out there and, and uh, you know, it's all touch and feel and you're sitting there going, up, oh, up, oh, that's grass, up, oh, there's a stump, that's a piece of wood, up, oh, that's a bite. Well, once your senses start, and the more you do that, the better you get. So actually, I can be carrying on a conversation with you in my boat during the day and not really paying attention to maybe as too much as what I'm doing, but the scent, your sense kicks in and goes, something just changed. Something just happened. I don't know if it's a bite. I don't know if it wasn't a bite, but I'm going to check it out. And I think that comes from night fishing. It's certainly a lot of fun. The only problem I've got, Rick, is, A, we're out of time, but, B, you know, the next uh, field assignment that Brigman goes on, I have to be able to come along. I mean, I, I was kidding with him earlier. You know, he's the one that got to come down earlier. I said, next time I'm up for that job. But, unfortunately, we are out of time. But before we get out of here, Rick, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, come down and see if they want to get in on some of this night fishing on Lake Fork that we've been talking about. Hey, Aaron, you can just go to my website. It's just rickloomis.com, spelled just like the rods, L-O-O-M-I-S. You can contact me off that site, send me an email off the site, we'll get hooked up, and we'll go see if we can catch a big one. Sounds great, Rick. Thanks so much uh, once again for being part of the Edge, and we look forward to doing it again in the near future. Hey, Aaron, see you soon. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hi, this is George Cochran. I'm Dave Wolak. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Clark Winman. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. Hi, this is Jim Tut, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, man, it's great to hear from Rick, and, and you know this, Aaron, and I'll share this with the listeners, but uh, Rick and I are longtime friends, and one of the very first outdoor stories I wrote as an outdoor writer was with Rick, and we fished together many times through the years and almost always at night because he is the man at night. Well, he is, and, you know, I, of course, I kind of surprised you with this interview and snuck this in, <laughs> um, but, you know, just to, I'm sure that brings back a lot of memories for you, but also for me. I mean, I can remember being there at his lodge on several occasions and just sitting down and talking with him much like what we did here for the interview it amazes me of how he can go and dissect 
the nighttime, just like most anglers do in the daytime. Well, yeah, you know, and, and, and throughout my whole outdoor riding career, you know, you try to pick an expert to talk about each thing. And it was always Rick at night. We did stories from everybody from uh, the Dallas Morning News to Bassmaster about that. And uh, he obviously knows that you heard in the interview. He knows it, but he's just so practical in all the little how to overcome some of the nighttime issue, non-fishing issues that allow you to fish. Well, and that's important because, you know, nighttime can be intimidating for numerous reasons. And uh, I thought he broke down just the entire experience very well. And, you know, I, I certainly know that you've been down there this year to be able to get in the boat with him. And I look forward to, I want to get back down there myself and, <laughs> and get back out on Lake Fork and, and experience uh kind of that nighttime fishing. It's really one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I know it was something of a revelation to me when I started fishing with Rick because I'd fished a lot at night my whole life. A lot of pond fishing at night, just throwing stuff like black jitterbugs and black plastics in the shallow water, uh, kind of like we did last week in Oklahoma. But it's amazing how much of that fishing at night that he does is in relatively deep water. He's staying out there in the summertime. Well, and I think, you know, that goes a long way when you consider the body of water that you're fishing. You know, mm-hmm. deep as what we've mentioned so many times is a relative term. And I think, you know, your comment earlier, Steve, just talking about about the ponds that you fished over the past weekend, you know, one of the things that you alluded to was that you like to fish the dam side, which guess what? That's deep water. Mm-hmm. Well, these fish he's catching, and, and it's been this way almost every time that I've been there, is we're fishing deep hydrilla. Hydrilla in the 20-something range, 25, 24 range, the hydrilla coming about halfway up. And essentially what you're doing is where fish are suspending in that summer thermocline, that's about where the vegetation comes up. And it just makes a perfect scenario on Lake Fork. And of course, the big fish like it out there. I just always seem to catch bigger fish at night, so uh, it's a great trip. I, I recommend folks going down there and trying that. Well, and don't you think the result of that, of what you talked about, you brought up a couple of different things. One is the thermocline. You've got deep hydrilla where it tops out, so as we know, anything that is growing is putting oxygen back into the system there. Mm-hmm. And we also know that fish like comfort, so it's cooler water. And if the bait is there, because of, for the very same reasons that the bass are, Well, you kind of have that trifecta and that perfect scenario of why you would expect bass to be where they're at. Well, that's true. And that's almost always where we've started because that's typically your top summer pattern. But I will tell you, in all the years that I fished with Rick, we have moved into that seven or eight range a few times. And, you know, it's just like any other kind of fishing. You kind of, I hate to use this cliche again, but you kind of have to let the fish dictate to you where, you know, what they want, where they're at, how they want to feed. And uh, I think in general, night fishing is not as different from day fishing as I think some people might believe who haven't done a lot of it. I I would agree with that. Of course, we've talked about on here before, and Rick brought up just briefly concerning, you know, fishing the shade of the moon. There's a lot of things that transpire, you know, that are, are the exact same. Several pros will tell you, you know, if you have success at night, those are areas that they will normally go back to of the daytime, only they might just make an adjustment as far as, you know, they might have to pinpoint them on one side of the point versus the other side of the point or on this end of the dock, that's the shallow end of the dock versus the deep end of the dock. I mean, those fish aren't just going to evacuate completely the area and swim out of the creek. That's so true. I just love Rick's comments also about just some of the things you don't hear other people talk about a lot, like the moon and uh, moon shadows and, and how that affects fish and how he likes 
to fish dark nights instead of the moonlit nights. And then all of the things he does, precautionary, how he keeps insects from eating him up and protects his eyes when he's running. There's just a lot of good information in that interview. Well, there is, and I certainly appreciate him taking the time out to do that. As always, uh, just a real treat to have on here and certainly a wealth of information. Well, he sure is. And, Darren, we got a question this week, and, I mean, it's right up your alley because this is basically what you're doing in the summer. And our question is from Greg in Buffalo, Missouri, which is just right up the road here for me. And Greg wants to know, when fishing main lake points in the summer and the dam is releasing water, which side of the point should be more productive? The dam side of the point or the side of the point farthest from the dam? Wow. Well, Greg, thanks for sending that in, and I'm sure uh, he's probably gets his fair share of time there, maybe on Stockton or perhaps Palm de Terre up in that area, great area to, mm-hmm. to be at. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to walk. Uh, kind of a little bit loosely here, Steve, and, and I will say that rule of thumb, standard rule of thumb, and how I will compare this to would be on the downward side or the, the side that is closest to the dam. And the only reason I say that is because as the current is coming across, you know, this typical point textbook, let's say it's just mm-hmm. a point, there's nothing, no structure, anything on it, and where it makes that roll down on the other side, that's a you know, normally a pretty good area for fish to stage and ambush bait. Now, here's the other scenario that you have to think about. A, you don't know if there is any type of boulders that's maybe on the upward side of the point, which if that's the case, or let's say standing timber or submerged timber or laydowns or anything like that, anything that creates a current break, you know, they could very easily be on the upward side of that point as well. Also, you know, which I'm sure you've seen this numerous times with regards to rivers or even bridge pilings on reservoirs, you know, the upward side, the current creates these funny little things called eddies and just Mm -hmm. has this kind of this way that it can actually create still water in areas that you would never in a million years expect. So I guess what I'm going to throw out and say is don't rule out checking kind of all areas of the particular point. I would certainly start on the downward side, the side that's closest to the dam, but man, make sure you, you make a few casts, take your electronics, run across those points, see what's down there, and uh, wish you the best of luck. You know, that's exactly how it hit me when I saw this question is that, you know, the fish you'd expect to be on, be on the damn side, but you're sitting on a point. It's not far to that other side. Make those casts. Later in the day, you might discover that, yeah, they're always on the damn side, and you may want to hop points and just fish like that, but I kind of established that pattern first. Uh, you just never know, and, and you're there. So, Do you remember when we were at Rayburn? Because what you were saying right then is the situation that we've seen you know, so many times, in Rayburn in particular. You know, They would kick the generators on. Well, those fish, they were up on the flat in the shallows of the points because that would automatically kick them into a feeding frenzy. Well, it would. And, uh, you know, that's always an interesting thing is that just kicks some fish into a frenzy. At Lake Fork, like we was talking about where Rick is in those Florida bass, a current in the lake just gives them lockjaw. So you get different reactions on different lakes and different fish types. But, you know, it may be that those that there's some very aggressive fish jumping on that upstream part of that point to be the first one to get the bait that rushes through. When I'm on a point, it's a points are usually small enough where you can try it all i would encourage greg to do that well and the other thing too greg and this is going to be a little bit more geographic uh, specific to greg but i can tell you we've had a lot of rain 
And I know certainly up in his area, I think they had three to four inches uh, that came all of a sudden. That's going to create some current, which ultimately is going to be some cooler water. So I just thought I'd throw that in there for his particular benefit. And uh, yeah. maybe he can go out and catch them. Hey, they just got a bunch of rain up there yesterday. It didn't quite make it to us. And it's supposed to rain again today. So uh, I don't know. Maybe Greg can call us back and tell us the answer to that because uh, he's certainly got some current to fish right now. Well, he does. And uh, Greg, again, thanks for sending that in. And don't forget uh, when you send in a question, you are automatically entered into our prize giveaway. Well, Steve, unfortunately, uh, that about does it for today. I know. I'm sitting here trying to decide whether I want to go pond fishing or go to Lake Fork or go up to Palm to Tear. I don't know. I've got the fishing fever now. <laughs> well, you're going to have an extra few days to think about that because we are going to take next week off. Uh, hard to believe, but my little girl, Maya, she is starting school, uh, going into kindergarten. So uh, we're going to take a break off, let everybody get settled kind of into the normal routine, and we will be back the following week. In the interim, though, be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen on the World Fishing Network each and every day. We are also on Wild TV in Canada. Log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the pros and also for a chance to win great prizes. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.